Chapter forty one of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Tibet and the Tibetans. Tibet is the most elevated inhabited region on earth. It is so high up in the air that the Hindus call it the roof of the world. It consists of an immense plateau about one eighth the size of the United States which is upheld between the himalayas at the south and other high mountains at the north the greater part of it being more than two miles above the level of the sea this lofty tableland is crossed by mountains and it has some parts which are more than three miles in height it has both freshwater and saltwater lakes the mountains about it are the sources of the mekong hoang and yangtze and also of the brahmaputra and the indus the country is stony and rough and a great part of it is as arid and sterile as the desert of gobi which lies farther north as the warm winds of the indian ocean blow against the high cold wall of the himalayas they are laden with moisture but the cold condenses this and it falls as rain or snow so that when the winds blow north of the mountains they are comparatively dry indeed tibet is in places almost as dry as the sahara although its mountains are covered with snow for the greater part of the year in the short summer the valleys and plains are hot and as the winter comes on the weather grows so dry that the leaves on the trees wither and may be ground to powder between the fingers planks and beams crack and break and the people sometimes cover the woodwork of their houses with coarse cloth to preserve them the dryness of the air is such that salt is not needed for the keeping of food fresh meat can be left out of doors without spoiling the air sucks up the juices and the meat can be powdered like bread as soon as a sheep is killed it is skinned cleaned and hung up out of doors it quickly becomes a dry stiffened mass after which it may be kept a long time but what kinds of animals do they have on this high cold plateau there are donkeys sheep goats and yaks there are also horses and ponies and wild asses wild sheep and antelopes one species of antelope known as the chiru has a pair of long slender horns which extend almost straight upward from the crown of the head in front of the ears there is also a monkey which has a snub nose and long thick silky hair there are yaks wild and tame the yak is sure-footed and strong and it is sometimes used for carrying burdens over the mountains it is about as large as a good-sized cow and in some respects looks like one it has horns and hoofs and its body is covered with a thick coat of hair which in places is several inches long the yak's tail is more like that of a horse and is sometimes three feet in length it has a hump upon its shoulder which is composed largely of fat another tibetan beast is the musk deer from which comes the scent called musk this animal is smaller than any deer we have in america the musk is found in a little ball of fat enclosed in a sack beneath the skin of the abdomen the fat is of a dark brown chocolate color and it looks much like moist gingerbread when the deer is killed the fat is taken out and dried it is then shipped over the mountains to india or china and thence to the united states or europe where it forms the basis of many perfumes the people of tibet number more than six million they are mostly stock breeders and farmers they have irrigated patches in the valleys 
and raise hardy grains. They have mines of gold, salt, and borax, and also some of the finest turquoises known to the world. The Tibetans are exclusive, and they do not like to have foreigners come to their country. For centuries they kept all strangers out, and it was only a few years ago that the British forced their way into the capital, the city of Lhasa, and made a treaty with them by which trade could be carried on. They acknowledge themselves to be subject to China, although for the most part they are ruled by their lamas or priests, of whom more is told farther on in this chapter. These people are of the Mongolian race, and they have their own language. They look much like our Indians, having high cheekbones and dark yellow or copper-colored complexions. The men have no beards to speak of, and all carry pincers to pull the hairs out of their faces. The Tibetans are divided into tribes, each of which has its own customs, although all dress much alike. They have gowns which reach from the neck almost to the ankles, and are tied in at the waist with girdles of wool. In the winter they wear either sheepskins with the wool turned inward, or so many furs that it is hard to tell where the furs end and the bodies begin. The summer clothing consists of native woolen cloth. The Tibetans are fond of bright colors, and especially of reds, purples, and blues. Both men and women wear boots made of red or yellow leather, held up by garters attached to their tops. In northern Tibet, the people have caps of cloth or felt, trimmed with lambskin, which come to a point at the crown. These caps are sometimes covered with silk, and they may be green, red, or blue. In some sections of the country, they have high hats, shaped much like that of a Korean gentleman, but with a broader brim and a larger crown. The brim is often faced with red silk. The hat is tied on by a string around the throat. Both men and women are fond of jewelry. The men frequently wear, in the left ear, an earring set with pearls and turquoises and often two inches long. The women have chains of gold, silver, and copper about their necks. They also wear earrings, some of which are so heavy that a little strap is tied to the ring and passed over the top of the ear to take the weight from the lobe. They adorn their hair with jeweled trinkets, plating gold, silver, amber, and coral in their braids. And how do the Tibetans live? Some of them have tents made of the coarse hair of the yak, and others rude homes of wood or stone, the latter being laid up in clay mortar. Most of the people live in villages. There are only one or two towns which might be called cities, the chief being Lhasa, the capital. In the larger places, we may find houses of three stories, the homes of the rich. They are built around a court, and each of them may contain several rooms. The poor man's house is seldom of more than two stories, with a courtyard in front or behind it. The ground floor is sometimes used as a stable. There are very few windows in the houses, except holes in the walls, which may perhaps be covered with oiled paper. Fireplaces are used for cooking, but there are no chimneys, and the smoke must get out as it can. The principal fuel is dried yak manure, and this is so scarce that the cooking fires are expected to keep the house warm. The Tibetans live largely upon barley, wheat, beans, and peas, which they crush and grind into a meal and cook as a mush or in cakes. They are fond of raw meat and seldom serve their meats more than half cooked. They eat the flesh of yaks, camels, and hogs, and, like most people of cold climates, 
are especially fond of fats a favorite dish is a soup of brick tea butter and water cooked into a thick fatty broth after this mixture has been taken from the fire some barley meat is added and it is churned in a little tea churn the broth which has now become a thick mush is ladled out in bowls and the people knead it into balls with their fingers before eating it both men and women are fond of tobacco which they carry about in horn boxes much like the powder horns of our colonial days all the men smoke and the priests and women take snuff these people are very religious they are buddhists and are largely ruled by the buddhist priests or lamas of whom the land has many thousands at the head of the priesthood is the grand lama who dwells in the potala a temple just outside lhasa he is usually a boy who is supposed to have the spirit of buddha within him the tibetans spend a great deal of their time in praying to buddha and they have machines of various kinds to multiply their prayers one of these is the prayer wheel a cylindrical tin or brass box which whirls around a stick or pin through its center a number of prayers are written upon a strip of paper and this is wrapped around the stick inside the box as the man rubs the stick between his palms the paper whirls and he believes that at every turn of the wheel he will have the credit of making as many prayers as there are on the paper large prayer wheels are often turned by the wind and sometimes by the waters of a creek or brook in such cases one has to only pull out a peg and the wind or water prays for him wiping away sin after sin so the tibetans think as long as the water flows or the wind continues to blow nearly all education in tibet is confined to the priesthood and the tibetan books are almost altogether religious ones among the queer customs of this country are those related to marriage instead of having several wives as is common in some asiatic countries the tibetan has only a part of one wife when a girl marries she often becomes the wife of all her husband's brothers or she may marry one or two extra men so that she has four or five husbands in such cases she is regarded as the head of the family and does most of its labor she cooks weaves and knits and also works in the fields in the towns nearly all the shops are kept by women and woman is the bread earner as well as the bread maker nevertheless she does not think that her fate is a hard one for a rich tibetan lady of lhasa once said that she pitied the women of other countries who were so poor that each could have only one husband but before leaving we must take a look at the city of lhasa it is the capital of tibet and the center of its religion government and trade the people make pilgrimages to it and until recently they forbade all strangers to enter it on penalty of losing their lives it has now become more accessible however and we can find out how it looks it is not a large city containing at best not more than twenty five thousand people it lies in a plain called the plain of milk but we think it should be named the plain of water and mud for it is surrounded by swamps and is reached only by a roadway built through them the plain is about fifteen miles long and from two to five miles in width there are great mountains about it the peaks of which even in midsummer are covered with snow as to lhasa itself it is a town of palaces and hovels there are many rude one-story and two-story houses of stone 
cemented together with clay, and larger ones of granite, solidly built. Some of the homes of the priests have roofs washed with gold. About two-thirds of a mile from the city of Lhasa is the Potala, the great temple home of the Grand Lama. This is a group of buildings which looks like a fortification. It stands upon a rocky hill rising above it higher than any church steeple. It is 900 feet long and has enough rooms to house hundreds of the Grand Lama's servants and about 500 monks. The Grand Lama's home is in the center of the temple. He is so sacred that he is seldom seen by anyone but his servants and priests, most of whom get down on their knees when they enter his presence. The Grand Lama rules by the direction of advisers appointed by the Chinese government, of which country Tibet is a dependency. There are Chinese soldiers at Lhasa and Chinese officials at the principal places, and we meet Chinese merchants and traders as we go through the country. The chief foreign trade of Tibet is with China and India. Goods are carried across the mountains on camels or yaks and are sold at the market towns upon the frontier. The people import brick tea, cloth, and notions of various kinds. They export wool, cattle, borax, salt, and also turquoises and gold. So far, most of the country has not been explored, and it may have mineral riches, of which we know nothing. End of chapter 41